Please pray with me. Holy Spirit, come. Open our eyes. Open also the eyes of our hearts. Grant that we may see Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Tonight's reading from the Gospel of John opens with a series of apparent non-sequiturs, statements that just don't seem to follow from one another. Listen to this again. During supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and that he was going to God, got up from the table and took off his outer robe and tied a towel around himself and poured water in a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. That's not where any normal person would expect that sentence to go. And if anything, the Greek text is even stronger. Andreas Kostenberger's commentary argues that the grammar here suggests causation. Because he knew, he got up and knelt down and began to serve them. Jesus' knowledge of who he is what the Father is doing, what's about to happen to him, is the basis for his actions here. All things have been given into his hands, and so he takes those hands and starts doing the dirty work. Peter at least sees the problem, right? Lord, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? St. John Chrysostom imagines Peter's inner dialogue this way. Are you washing my feet with the hands by which you opened eyes, cleansed lepers, raised the dead? When you think about it that way, it's a little terrifying. These are hands of power, hands that work wonders, hands that accomplish the acts of God, hands reaching down and pouring water, toweling clean the rough soles of their feet cleansing away dust and, well, whatever else has accumulated during the course of the day, washing away the smell right up close. And then Jesus presses the paradox. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you know what? You're right. That's who I am. Jesus, knowing who he is, strips away every sign of honor and status knowing that one of them is already planning to betray him, Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world, loved them even unto the end. Chrysostom notices that Judas's name appears first and says, he thinks Judas's feet were washed first. So great is the extent of his love. Of course, it's an enacted parable, right? And after he sits down, the Lord gives an interpretation. If I, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I've given you an example that you also should do as I've done to you. And tonight, this example, this paradox, this divine word presses in on us. Jesus calls us to humility here, but more than that, his actions expose our pride and our presumption in the ways that we respond to this love. And they demand that we consider anew what true humility actually means. 
course, Judas is openly presumptuous, right? He accepts Jesus' action. Sure, wash my feet, that's fine. But we know because John tells us that his heart has already been handed over to the devil. If he watches and listens, he doesn't hear. He doesn't see. If he eats, his soul doesn't delight in the taste. His mind is turned away. His love is withheld. He accepts the sign, but he rejects the gift. As St. Paul says, he eats and drinks judgment upon himself. His feet are washed, but he's not made clean. And these words from Scripture are a warning. They're a warning to us, lest we also act with presumption to reach out and seize the Lord's gifts as, we, as if we have some sort of right to them, but with treachery in our hearts, approaching the table of the Lord while we're still gripping and hanging on to some sin that we refuse to repent of and surrender, or clutching hold of unforgiveness till she makes it right, till he admits what he did. I'm not going to let this go. Or simply acting as if this is just another night, just another liturgy, going through the motions, not even, for goodness sake, not even trying to pay attention to the love, to the strangeness, to the sacrifice, not discerning the body, not responding as if this is Jesus who has been given all authority by the Father and who offers himself to us now, kneeling down to wash our feet, breaking the bread, extending the cup for your lips. Examine yourselves, Paul writes. Whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Judas is a warning against our own presumption, our own betrayals, not just in what we've done, but maybe even more in what we've left undone, what we've failed to do. The Lord's actions expose that, and they call us, first of all, to a humility of repentance. But the story presses even deeper than that, because along with Judas, we get to see Peter. Peter, who wants to be with Jesus, who wants to follow, who wants to love and not betray him, more than anything. And then Jesus sets aside his robe and wraps that long towel over his shoulder. He starts to kneel. Jesus, what are you doing? Stop. Wait. You can almost see Peter tensing up and getting more and more uncomfortable as Jesus moves toward him. Don't, it's not right. It's unseemly. Don't you know who you are, Jesus? Don't you know who I am? This is not the relationship that we have. Archbishop William Temple captures something, I think, really important about this moment. He says, when Jesus approaches, Peter's loyalty and generosity rebel. It is not any vice, but the very virtue in Peter that is horrified by the Lord's demeanor. Which is to say, in a certain way, he's expressing a kind of humility. You may recall something like this happened once before when Peter first saw Jesus provide a catch of fish where there were no fish to be caught. And Peter said, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. You don't want to be near me. Or again, maybe it isn't safe for me to, for you to be near me. Now, a lot has happened since then, but this is the same Peter who wants to love his master rightly 
who wants to be humble, at least, you know, in relation to Jesus. Lord, you're not supposed to do that. Not you. Not for me. It's wrong. And so gently, but firmly, Jesus rebukes him. Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. Oh, well, then not just my feet, but my hands and my head. Peter is nothing if not zealous. Sometimes wrong, but always zealous. And Jesus says, no, Peter, you still don't understand. And you know what? That's okay. I don't really expect you to understand it all just yet. You don't have to. What you have to do is let me be the one who knows what I'm doing and let me do it. Do you see what's happening here? Do you see what Jesus is revealing about true humility? Peter might be willing to kneel down and wash Jesus' feet if Jesus asked him to. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you, anything you say. If Jesus asked Peter to wash Judas' feet, he wouldn't like it. But he might do it if the Lord required it. He's willing to do whatever Jesus asks, or at least he thinks he is. But Jesus horrifies and embarrasses Peter with this reversal of the way things are supposed to be, the way Peter thinks things are. He shocks and humiliates Peter, not when he tells Peter to be more humble. That's not it. He shocks and humiliates Peter by humbling himself. Because upending Peter's assumptions about the way things are, or the way things are supposed to be, is the only possible way for Peter to be saved. Again, Archbishop Temple says this so well. He says, man's humility does not begin with the giving of service. It begins with the readiness to receive it. Man's humility does not begin with the giving of service. It begins with the readiness to receive it. He goes on to explain that so much of our willingness to serve and do kindness, be helpful to others, still ultimately stems from pride. Yes, Lord, I'll do anything for you. Just say the word, your humble and obedient servant. But true humility starts when we admit to the possibility that God doesn't need us to do things for him that we need him to do something for us. That our first submission is submission to his self-abasement on our behalf. Because we have to be cleansed all the way down, because we have to be purged of the pride that hides beneath our so-called humility. This is love, scripture says, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is the true repentance that leads to salvation. This is repentance. To throw yourself at the master's feet and find him already kneeling there washing yours. It's a hard word, but this is Jesus' word. We don't get to tell our Lord how he's supposed to make all things new. How he's supposed to make us new. We don't get to set the terms for our own salvation as if it belongs to us, as if he's answerable to us, as if 
we actually know what we really need. We are washed, we are fed, we are loved. And we'd probably better accept that now because it's about to get worse. Tonight, tomorrow, Jesus is going to be betrayed and seized by violent men and subjected to an even more awful and unimaginable abasement, humiliation. The one who lays aside his outer garments to serve his brethren tomorrow will be stripped and exposed. These hands that gently wash their feet are about to be torn with nails. Like the rock in the desert, his side will be split open so that water and blood can run out, so our thirst can be quenched, so we can be made entirely clean. Having loved his own who are in the world, he will love them to the end, to the uttermost, even unto death and beyond. He will love them to himself. And the hard truth is you can't stop him. Peter can't stop him. All authority has been given into those hands that he will extend to receive the nails. You can't say, no, Lord, it's unseemly. It's wrong. You shouldn't have to do that for me. You don't deserve that. It's too awful. Unless you let me wash you, you have no part in me. And the question tonight is, can we surrender and submit to needing him to do that for us? Can we accept that he chooses to do that for us, that he wants to do that for us? Can we submit to being loved with a love that we can never adequately repay and embrace the freedom of a kingdom established on grace that isn't about paying what you owe because you can't and it's okay because someone else has? Brothers and sisters, this is the devastating good news that you cannot humble yourself or abase yourself or lower yourself further down than God has already gone ahead of you. And that's where repentance and true humility starts, accepting the limits of our own humility, accepting that we need him to do what we cannot do for ourselves, that all we can do is either refuse and say, no, Lord, and betray him by our presumption or our false humility, or we can submit to being loved. And we know that love has found us when we kneel down to wash someone else's feet. Not as an act of dramatic self-abasement, look what a servant I am, humbler than thou, but because my Lord has already always outdone me in humility. And that begins to truly humble me and allow me to realize it's not about my impressive works of piety. It's about submitting and surrendering to his love for us and therefore also his love in us for one another. Sometimes before we can wash someone else's feet in obedience to the divine commandment, we have to let someone else wash ours. Because even our own acts of service are always all about submitting and surrendering to the love that has found us first. This is where it starts. There's a George Herbert poem, many of you know, that captures this mo movement really beautifully. And it seems especially appropriate 
on this night when we also remember the institution of the Lord's Supper, the first Eucharist. And so I want to read it to you. It's called Love Three. Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be he. I, the unkind, ungrateful? Ah, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply, who made the eyes? but I. Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame? My dear, then I will serve. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.